Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It is good to see you this morning. And for those of you that are at home, welcome. We're thankful for the fact that you can watch on online. And for the rest of you, it is, it is really good to have you here. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. And you can find 1 Peter chapter 2 on page, I believe it is 954. And uh, we're going to be, as I mentioned uh, in my email this week, we're going to be taking a break, a one-week break from, from uh, the book of John, really to deal with an issue that has been ruminating in my heart for these last couple months and is just really today coming to fruition. Um, in fact, David said it when he was up here, but he said, these are crazy times. How many of you have been, I don't know, guilty, but you've, you've said, this is a crazy time we're in. And certainly it is. When you look at history, we are in a crazy time. I mean, if you think about it, in the last six months, this country has effectively been shut down because of COVID-19. And then on May 25th of this year, we watched, many of us in horror, an eight-minute video of a white Minneapolis police officer with his neck to a 46-year-old African-American man. George Floyd, who ended up dying. Protests erupted. Many were peaceful, but they were hijacked by opportunists, leading to rioting in the streets. Some cities are still experiencing rioting today. And now we're in this very contentious, very divisive presidential election. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the wrong things. If you turn on the news or a podcast or, or social media, you could be overwhelmed by the bitterness, the anger, the cynicism, the finger pointing, the self-righteousness, the conspiracy theories, the violence, the divisiveness, and the hatred. And it is as if the world has turned upside down in front of our eyes. And in many respects, it has. Everybody's yelling and no one's listening. So as Christians, how are we to respond? How are we to live? How should the world see us in the midst of this upside down world? The fact is, if we're not careful... What's going on in this secular society can creep into the church. And we all of a sudden can be guilty of being divisive, of spewing hate, bitterness. Francis Schaeffer, 20th century theologian, philosopher, when he looked at what was going on in the world, he said, for Christians, how then shall we live? And he wrote a book of that title. In fact, and he took it from Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 10, when the nation of Israel was, was in captivity. And they asked, and it's in the King James Version, how then shall we live? And that's the question I want to ask and answer today. In fact, let me put it this way. I'll put it on the screen. How can we live right side up in an upside down world? 
How can I live right side up in an upside down world? How can you, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, how can you live right side up in an upside down world? And the good news is God has shown us. First of all, he's shown us through his son, and then he's shown us through his word. And that brings us to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, the goal today is not to create controversy. That's not the goal. But it's to point us back to the Lord and to point us back to his word. My goal is that we would think biblically and not just think biblically, we would act biblically. I'm not defending or criticizing one opinion or another. My desire, and I believe our Lord's desire, is we would look to him. And we would have a biblical lens when we look at what's going on in this world. And when we think biblically and when we act biblically, if needed, if the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we would confess maybe how we've gotten off track and we would repent and turn back to the Lord. And ultimately be the aroma of Christ to those that are perishing. So how do we live right side up in an upside down world? First of all, remember who you are and where you are. Remember who you are and where you are. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or among the unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When you came to Christ, and I pray you're in Christ, you became a new creation. Your life changed for eternity. You have a new nature. You have a new identity. You have a new mission. You have a new destination. You have a future and a hope. Anybody say amen? That's an amazing thing. Yet all around us, we are living in this tumultuous world and sometimes we don't act as new creations. How then shall we live? And Peter answers that by declaring who we are and where we are. First of all, who we are. We are, he says it in verse 11, we are beloved. God has bestowed his love upon us. Eight different times in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he says beloved. He wants to remind us that we are loved that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was an act of love. And as a result of that, he wants to, us to be remember. In fact, if you go back to verse 9, he says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him uh, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is speaking to Christians who've been now dis dispersed 
in a very, very difficult time. And he's reminding them of who they are. You are loved. You're a holy nation. You've been chosen. You're a people for God's own possession. And, and, and the purpose is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. No matter what's going on around here, you, you have a purpose. So he says, beloved, that's who you are. But then he reminds them of where they are. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against you. This is his point here. This world is not your home. That's the title of this message today. This world is not your home. And he uses two key adjectives. He says, you are sojourners and you are exiles. What's a sojourner? It's an alien, a stranger, a foreigner. What's an exile? They're pilgrims. They're temporary residents, strangers in this world. Let me say this. If you don't get this portion right, if you don't comprehend this, you'll not only struggle with this message, but you will struggle with living right side up in an upside down world because this is what gives you perspective. This world is not your home. Pam and I were in Pine, Arizona last week up in the mountains. We stayed in a cabin. It was a beautiful cabin, beautiful area. And at first it was, it was great. And, uh, but after a while, you're like, you know, the, the bed's one of those beds where if like somebody just moves a little bit, the whole thing shakes. The shower was such that if you're kind of washing all of your hair, and especially if you have a lot, it's kind of tough. And you hit your elbows against the shower walls. And it's like, after a while, it's like, I'm about ready to go home. We were kind of longing for home. And that's what Paul's reminding, or Peter's reminding us here. I, I'm going to say Paul a lot. Realize this is Peter that's speaking here. But I get Peter and Paul, and never Mary, but Peter and Paul mixed up a lot. He's saying this is not your home. We are foreigners in a secular world. Don't forget that. Where is our home? Our home is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, of heaven. We are here on a temporary basis, but while we are here, we are to live differently than the world. Why? First of all, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But verse 12, at the end of verse 12, it tells us to glorify God. While we are here, our purpose is to glorify God. Every day, every hour, every minute, it is to glorify God. Yet there's a, t a temptation to indulge the flesh. Look at verse 11 again. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We've talked about this in the past. When we come to Christ, we've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have the third person of the Trinity in us. We have, the, we have all the power we need. First Peter, uh, or 2 Peter 1.3 says, for life and godliness. Yet, 
There's a struggle going on. Our old flesh nature is battling against our new spirit nature. In fact, Paul speaks about it in Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Let me put that up. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we want to battle against this flesh nature against us, that's in us, we must walk by the spirit. That's in the imperative. That's a command. I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. There's a spiritual battle going on within you. And he says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do and, and why do I not do the things that I know that I should? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He says, Paul says here, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So the question is, how do I know if I'm not walking in the Spirit? Well, Galatians chapter 5 says it's evident. In fact, verses 19 through 21, he makes this whole long list of, of walking in the flesh. And, and let me just give you a couple. There's idolatry, meaning you're lifting up things above God in your mind and in your heart. There's strife. There's emmy, excuse me, envy. There's dissensions and divisions. If I am in the middle of dissensions and divisions, I'm not walking in the spirit, but I'm walking in the what? The flesh. But if I'm walking in the spirit, a whole different nature is starting to come out. It's called fruit, fruit of the spirit. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me ask you, is that what is coming out of you? How are you responding to what is going on around you? And let me ask you this, is your conduct honorable? Look at verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the unbelievable... Uh, Unbelievables. The unbelie Sometimes they're unbelievable, right? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That word honorable means lovely, winsome, gracious, praiseworthy. So as I'm going through this, I'm asking myself, does that describe me when I see things in the culture that I don't like? Is it lovely, winsome, gracious, praiseworthy? Would the Lord praise me for the way I am responding? Listen, you were saved to have a positive impact on the world. Jesus says to be salt in light. You are the salt of the world. Have you lost your saltiness? You are the light of the world. Are you pointing people to Christ? Look at what, and I'll put it up on the screen. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our lives should give glory to our Father who is in heaven. 
You represent the king. This world is not your home. And Peter tells us why this is so important. Look look what he says at the end of verse 12. He says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, newsflash, if you're living for the Lord, you will be spoken against as an evildoer. Now, who wants to sign up for that deal? How many of you love to be spoken against as an evildoer? But the fact is, it will happen. In fact, Paul tells Timothy that. In, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, I'll put that on the screen also because I think this is really important. Peter says, or Paul says to Timothy, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, what does that say? Persecuted. Not might be, they will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Let me ask you, are things getting better or are they getting worse? This was written 2,000 years ago, but we know that God's word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's eternal. Impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, that's us, believers in Jesus Christ, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, continue in what God's word says, and have firmly believed, knowing from you whom you have learned it. And so going back to Second, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see what? Your good deeds. And glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, the day of visitation it's, it can be interpreted two ways. It can be interpreted uh, when Jesus returns one day. But I believe, and as I've read some different commentaries on this, that it really, it really speaks of those that have been against the Lord, but all of a sudden embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when that happens, they remember you and your good deeds in the midst of difficult times. And they think they were an influence. There was something different about them. All right, so how do you live right side up in an upside down world? Remember who you are and remember where you are. Second, how do you live right side up in an upside down world? Silence the critics through your submission and authority. Okay, you thought the last one was difficult. Now we're really getting into it. Look at verse 13 through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, that word be subject to. In the New American Standard, in the NIV, it says submit yourselves to. It's the Greek word hupotasso. It's a military word. It's a compound word. It means to order under. What you're doing is you're ordering under those in authority over you. When you submit, you are no longer trying to control the outcome. Let me say this. This is one of the most challenging words in the Bible, at least for me. Anybody else? Submit yourself. 
It is entrusting in the sovereignty of God that he knows best. See, sometimes I think we forget that God is sovereign. And that God is working all things out for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. When you submit, you are no longer trying to control the outcome. Now, most of us are control freaks. But Jesus wants us to be Jesus freaks. He wants us to be submission freaks. And why do we submit? It says it here, verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Not for the sake of anything else. It's for the sake of the Lord. Why do we do it? It's for the purpose of the Lord, for the sake of the Lord. Who are we to submit to? Every human institution. Ouch. What's included in that word every? Every. He says, whether it be to the emperor, and that could also be translated the king, as supreme, or to governors as, the, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, this can be really tough, especially if you don't like the government, especially if you don't like who's in government, and you don't like the policies. And some of you might be thinking, well, you know, the times have changed. This is so much worse than when this was written 2,000 years ago. And eh, wrong. 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote this, Nero was the emperor. And he was the third in the line of three lunatic emperors. You had uh, Caligula. You had Claudius. And as bad as they were, they didn't even come close to Nero. Nero was horrific. He would have made any political leader in our day seem like a kitty cat. I mean, Nero, he was considered, he was, I, I wrote it down, he was considered history's greatest, one of history's greatest criminals. He killed his mother. He killed his wife. If you didn't bow down when he walked by, chop off your head. If you said Jesus is Lord, chop off your head. For entertainment, he would sew up Christians in animal skins and send them into a lion's arena. He lit his garden by taking Christians and covering them in pitch and lighting them on fire. And it is to this group of Christians that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It was rough. How we respond has kingdom implications. Verse 15. For this is the will of God. I've been guilty of saying, I just want to do the will of God. Now, that's not being guilty, but sometimes we don't understand. Doing the, the will of God means doing the will of God. And he says here, for this is the will of God, 
uh, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How you respond has kingdom implications. It's going to impact foolish people, the ignorance of foolish people. And there's a lot of ignorance out there today. So the question is, how do we do this? You have to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. You have to be walking in the Spirit. You must look to the Lord. You must depend upon the Lord. You must seek the Lord. But what if I don't like the president? What if I don't like the next president? What if I'm against his policies? Submit. Well, aren't there any limitations? Yes, there are some limitations. Unless they call you to sin. Or unless there's policies that go against God's word. How do I know that this refers to me? Romans chapter 13, 1 and 2. Let me put it up for you. Paul says this. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, you know what the Greek, you know what uh, everything means in the Greek? Everything. Or everyone. Every person. He says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, again, sometimes we don't understand what's going on in the world. I mean, think of Joseph and the situation he was in. Yet he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And notice it says here, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. You're effectively resisting God. Now, again, this is a tough message. Because it goes against what we think is right. But that, in that moment, what we're doing is we're putting our thinking above God's thinking. We're placing our minds above what the Lord is saying. Well, I don't like them. But the fact is, nobody says you have to. But we should remember who we are, and, who, and where we are. The fact that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And the fact is, if you disagree, make sure you vote. Some of you may even need to run for office, which would be great. He says in verse 16, He says, live as people who are free. In Christ, we are free. But not free to do whatever we are called, what want to do. We are free to live for the Lord. He says that they may, uh, excuse me. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. See, the fact is, is that in Christ, I'm now a servant of God. That word servant, it's a doulos. It's It's a slave. I'm a servant of God. In fact, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll put it up. He says this. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, the Lord's doulos, must not be quarrelsome, but but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
uh, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. As Christ followers, we are called to a different way of living. And I'm telling you, if Christians lived as they were called, I believe our world would be in a whole different place. I really do. But so often, we just, we conform to what's going on out in the world. We become part of the culture versus against the culture. I mean, you look in Acts chapter 3 or chapter 4, whatever it was, but the, the, the religious leaders, they, they saw the disciples and they, they knew that they'd been with Jesus. There was something different about them. Lord, I pray there'd be something different about us. Look at verse 17. This is almost kind of like a... He's, he's kind of summing up what he's been saying. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He says, honor everyone. It means to show preference, to respect. It's a command. It doesn't say honor. It doesn't command you to have others honor you, but we are called to honor everyone. In fact, he then says, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. And when he says love the brotherhood, it's a reminder. Sometimes that it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. It's to show deference towards the brotherhood. It's to honor and, and, and unconditionally love those that are believers in Jesus Christ. So often I think that even as Christians, we can... We can uh, argue to win versus listen to learn. So, honor the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Some of you are saying, this is hard. This isn't hard. This is impossible. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in you. That's why it's so important to walk in the spirit every day, not just day by day, but moment by moment. Why? So we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh because in our flesh, we don't want to do some of this stuff. But if I'm walking in the spirit, I'm completely submitted to the Lord. And, and, and again, you can't do that apart from spending time with him. Because when I feel my flesh starting to rise up, I got to get back into the word and let the spirit work in my heart. And I may not be the only one here. He says, fear God. Be more concerned about what God says than what man says. All right. How do we live right side up in an upside down world? Remember who you are and where you are. Second, silence the critics by submitting to authority. Third, find favor with God through your submissive and respectful behavior. It's just like this stair steps to just getting more and more difficult, right? Look at verse 18. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, I've said this many times as I've done counseling and so forth. This is probably one of the most difficult passages in Scripture really tough. Uh, 
Not only are you to submit to human institutions, but it says here to your masters. And the word servant, once again, is doulos. It's a bondservant. So some of you might say, well, you mean so they, the Bible is encouraging slavery? Well, let me just say this. Slavery in the first century was very different than slavery during the, the, the first 300 years of this nation. Slavery in the first century was based on two things. Either you were an indentured servant, you owed somebody money, you couldn't pay it back. So what you did was let's say that I owed David a bunch of money. That means I would just, uh, I would, I would go work for him. I'd be his servant for the next however many years it took before that got paid off. And then I was released. Or I was a servant because a conquering nation came in and I was now a servant as a result of that. But he says here, servants, be subject to your masters, be submissive to your masters. It's the same word with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. There was injustice in the first century. There's always been injustice. Do we like injustice? Absolutely not. We should always fight against injustice. But the fact is, there's times where we need to be submissive even to those who are unjust. Now, notice what he says. Be subject to your masters with all respect. That word respect means deference and reverence. Not just to those that are nice, not just to those that are gentle, but also to the unjust. And then he says this, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. That word gracious, it, 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 in the NAS, it, this finds favor with God. You find favor with God. It's a gracious thing in the eyes of God when you are treated unjustly and you endure it. I don't like this any more than you do. But it's how we're called to live as believers in Jesus Christ. And again, apart from the spirit, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna struggle with this. And we've got to remember, this is not our home. We're just sojourners. And we are called to submit to the authority over us. We find favor with God. This is a commendable thing before God. This is a gracious thing before God. When you are treated unjustly and you respond by trusting in God's sovereign care and you don't respond in pride or rebellion or anger or cynicism or bitterness. In fact, look at verse, look at chapter 3, verse 13. Actually, go back up to verse 8 of chapter 3. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. In fact, I had somebody text me uh, uh, the other day and says, I, I pray that this message brings unity within the church. And I appreciated that. Because that's what we want to be. He says, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Drop down to verse 13. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, and we will be, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or nor be troubled. Why? Because your eyes are on the Lord. But then he gives this warning. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared 
to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. When you are unjustly treated and you respond and you endure in a way that honors the Lord, you better be ready because people are going to say, what is it about you that allows you to live in such a way, to act in such a way, to respond in such a way that there's still joy and there's still hope. And guess who you get to point to? Jesus. The fact is, you can't lead if you can't follow. You can't lead if you won't submit. I mentioned Joseph earlier. He was one of those that even when he was unjustly thrown into jail for two years, prison. He became one of the greatest leaders. Second in command in Egypt. You don't get ahead by putting people down. By pulling out your resume. But it's almost counterintuitive. By submitting. By serving, being a servant leader. When I first surrendered to full-time ministry, and about a year later, I took over the men's ministry at Prestwood in Dallas, and we had three guys that were leading worship on Friday mornings, and I guess I can say it now, they weren't very good. Chris, we needed you. And we had some other guys that had some talent, so I remember saying to them, I said, listen, I'm gonna, you guys have been doing this for a while, I'm going to have you take a break. And I just want you to, I just want you to come and I want you to, to, to be able to just rest and relax and be under the, the ministry of God's word and we'll work you back in and like these guys, that was their identity. And the fact is, I, I said to them, listen, we'll bring you back in, but they stopped coming to men's Bible study because they no longer had a position. And, and, and the point is so often, like if, if I don't have a position, then I'm out. That's a dangerous place to be. Many times I'll ask, are you willing to be replaced? You find out where a person is. The fact is we will experience unjust leaders. But if you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, you can still find joy. Let me ask you, are you acting like a Christ follower? Are you acting like the rest of the world? Look what Charles Spurgeon says about this. And I, this was a, a, a verse that was, I mean, a quote that was sent to me. It was, he says, it will be a sad day for the church and the world when there is no distinction between the children of God and those of this world. Again, we, we are holy. We, he, he says back in chapter 11, you are a holy nation. That word holy, hagias, it's separated. We are different. Is your behavior respectful? Is it good and gentle? fact is, God sees it, and he is using that for a greater good. I'm going to just do something real quick, because this just kind of hit me uh, the other day as I was studying this passage. You see over and over again in this passage, and I think it's really important, I think it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for the sake of God, for the sake of the Lord. In verse, in verse uh, 10, it says, now you are God's people. Verse uh, 12, glorify God. Verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Uh, verse 16, living as servants of God. Verse 17, fear God. Verse 19, mindful of God. Verse 20, in the sight of God. 
If your eyes are on the Lord, this comes into play. But if they're not, you're going to really struggle. How do you live right side up in an upside down world? Finally, follow Christ's example and trust yourself to God. Follow Christ's example and trust yourself to God. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called. To what? To endure while suffering unjustly. To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his step. To this we've been called. We've been saved to be an example of how to suffer well, of how to submit well. Christ suffered for us. He gave us an example. And if anyone has, if, listen, if anyone had the right to usurp human authority, it was Jesus. But did he? No. When he was arrested, he said, I could call 12 legions of angels. It's like 72,000 angels. When he said, I am, they, they all just fell back. But he submitted to the Lord and he submitted to human authority. He was beaten. He was spit upon. His hair was pulled out. He ultimately was nailed to a cross. Why would he submit to this human suffering? Why? For to this you have been called, verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why did he do it? By his wounds you have been healed. He did it because he was fully submitted to God and he gave us an example. And it is when you start submitting to God and submitting to the governing authorities and submitting to unjust masters and to difficult people and endure justice with the right attitude, then you will understand what Jesus did for us. It is in that moment you'll understand the depth of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. As bad it is sometimes for us, so much worse for Jesus. He took the wrath for you. He was unjustly treated for you. He suffered for you. When he was reviled, he didn't fight back. He, he didn't say to them, I'm going to get you on judgment day. You know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. an example for us and he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly does this describe us in this culture this world is not our home yes this world's messed up 
but we're not staying here. We're just passing through. We're just sojourners and exiles. And looking around this world should cause us to long for heaven. Come, Lord Jesus. We should have a holy dissatisfaction with living here on earth. But it should remind us that while we are here, we have a commission. And it is the Great Commission. It is to see souls come to Christ. We have a solution for this ailing society. And the solution is Jesus. But it starts with us. It starts with how we respond. It starts with how we act. And the time is now to return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Look at verse 25. He says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So here's the challenge. Take your eyes off the world. You may need to turn off the news, some podcasts, some social media, whatever else might be polluting your soul. And I'm not saying bury your head in the sand, but bury your head in Jesus. I'm kind of a news junkie. But if I spend more time in the news and in all the stuff of the world and less than that in God's word, I'm going to become, it's kind of like trash in, trash out. We're called to be the aroma of Christ to those that are perishing. And I just want to end with this. I want to do a quick self-assessment. We're going to do it pretty quickly. Let me put the first one up. Are you walking in the spirit or are you walking in the flesh? And, and you can answer that by what are you consumed with? Is your passion for blank greater than your passion for souls, for Jesus? Are you walking in the spirit? Second. Is your conduct honorable? Do people see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven? Do you listen to learn or do you argue to win? Third, are you submitted to every human institution for the Lord's sake? Or could it be that you're rebellious at every step? Fourth, are you living as a servant of God? Do you want to be right or do you want to win souls? Fifth, do you love the brotherhood? Do you love God's people, God's church? Or do you find yourself sowing discord, being contentious? One of our leaders said the other day, if you want to fight, fight on your knees. Get on your knees, pray. So worship team comes up. Let me just, three more. Are you respectful to those over you? Are you respectful to those over you? Seventh, do you entrust yourself to him who judges justly? Have you entrusted yourself to Lord or have you entrusted yourself to political campaigns, social, social issues, cultural issues? Here's the last question. Do you need to turn 
or return to the great shepherd, the overseer of your souls. For some of you, it may be turning for the first time. Turning to the Lord. If you sense God calling you, Jesus came into this world to die on a cross for sinners of whom we all are so that we could have eternal life. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. But some of you may just need to return to the overseer and shepherd of your soul because you've been turned to everything but As you do this self-assessment, there may be some things you need to confess. There may be some things you need to repent of, but that's the grace of God. I pray for the unity of our church. I pray for the unity of the Big C Church. As we are reminded that we're just passing through, that we're beloved. This world is not our home. Father, help us to live right side up in an upside down world. Father, forgive us for the times that we've made this world about things other than you. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for our nation. We pray for the healing of our land. But let us be the church. Let people see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Help us to be the aroma of Christ to those that are perishing. Lord, we need you desperately. And we look to you. You are our only hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray.